Welcome to the last lap podcast. Welcome to the last lap podcast. Welcome everybody to the Last Lap Podcast, the Last Lap Podcast, looking at the German Grand Prix, the only other place outside of a world war where you can see the British, Australians and Dutch finish ahead of the Germans. Oh, that is cool. <laughs> <laughs> All right, look folks, there's, it's very difficult to make a pun off of Hockenheim, so let's, <laughs> let's just leave it at that and go, that was as far as I could creatively go. Uh, I'm your host, Andrew Pearson, possibly not for long until somebody probably strings me up for making these kind of comments. Uh, and alongside me, as always, is my co-host, Sean Gray. Woo, hello. <laughs> uh, and this week, we will be looking at the German Grand Prix. Bernie Ecclestone is always looking to take Formula 1 into new areas, and in the 1980s it was no different. Back then he was very keen to hold a race behind the old Iron Curtain. He was initially looking to the Soviet Union, but someone recommended Budapest to him instead, and now here we are at the 30th anniversary of the Hungarian Grand Prix, held at the Hungaroring, 11 miles from the capital. The 2.7 mile, 16 corner circuit is generally hot and dry, and a dusty atmosphere coupled with a track that isn't used very often makes it slippy offline. Add this to a track design where one corner flows into another, it makes for races that have tended to be very processional. It has been known as Monaco without the barriers. So it's somewhat surprising, to be honest, that it's lasted on the calendar this long. For quite some time, this was the race in the season to miss, the race where not much ever happened. Indeed, in the 2000s, when Formula 1 was shown on ITV in the UK, commentator Martin Brundle didn't even try, and regularly took this race off, leaving it up to someone else to try and find something to talk about. However, for some reason, this situation has turned round in recent years, and the Hungarian Grand Prix has gone from being a guaranteed snooze fest to sometimes producing one of the best races of the season. Formula One seems to be struggling to find a solution for head protection and this subject will be at the front of people's minds this week, with the first anniversary of Jules Bianchi's death the previous Sunday, and the Hungara Ring being the place in 2009 where Felipe Massa had a lucky escape after a loose spring from Rubens Barrichello's brawn bounced down the track and hit his helmet at around 160 miles an hour. And Barrichello himself was involved in another incident a year later, in 2010, when he was overtaking Michael Schumacher down the pit straight. Schumacher squeezed Barrichello closer and closer and closer to the pit wall, eventually leaving only millimetres to spare before the wall finished, and an understandably shaken Barrichello completed the overtake by partially going over grass across the pit exit. The 10-year podium sees Vettel in third, Alonso in second, and on the top step is Lewis Hamilton, who has won here four times. This ties him with Michael Schumacher as the drivers who have had the most victories here at the Hungaro Ring. So, can Lewis add to that tally this weekend and head towards Germany leading the championship for the first time this year? Or will Rosberg's new contract give him the motivation to try and best his teammate? It's over to Andrew and Sean to find out. So Hockenheim was the venue this year. Would you prefer Hockenheim or Nürburgring? The old Hockenheim. Well, you can't have the old Hockenheim, Sean. <laughs> then the Nürburgring, then the new Hockenheim. Uh, okay. Probably. Probably. But I, I don't think there's much of much. I think both are pretty decent tracks, to be fair. There's, there are, there are uh, an awful lot of worse tracks than the two German <laughs> tracks. There are, the, German, <laughs> the German tracks are not the problem. In no, I suppose, one, that, I suppose that's the truth. So, yeah, I mean, 
I mean, yeah, I mean, really, like it's as much of a match as between the two. They both actually tend to lend themselves to to pretty okay, okay races. So I'm not too fussed either way, to be honest. What about you? Do you have a particular? Preference? I'm one of these people that has. It's very. I find it very difficult to remember which are like the, the difference between the two German tracks. Be like, we turn up and I go, oh, in terms of layout. Yeah, like, a, oh yeah, I vaguely remember that that's in Nurburgring and not in Hockenheim. And then I go, oh yeah, that's the bit in Hockenheim, isn't it? With the funny. Um, that's one thing that I do seem to have like a almost a photographic memory of is Formula One tracks like that, because I played so much <laughs> Formula One PlayStation game in my teenage years that it seems to just be like, like I reckon I could blindfold drive Albert Park and be quite content. Like, like there's so, like so I kind of have quite a good knowledge of of the layouts of the circuits. The, the only yeah, bit from they're both good. Yeah, the only bit from Hockenheim I remember is the bit where it goes from quite a wide track into that really thin piece of track between two corners. And it's like a right-hand turn, and then the track goes practically single lane into a left-hand turn, and then it opens up again. And I just yep. happen to remember, that's the bit that always sticks in my mind about Hockenheim. Like, the most boring bit of the track, basically, because, you know. It was so high speed back in the day before they changed it, and I think we definitely lost something when we changed it. But, oh well, what's done is done. I ain't going to go back. We'll be lucky to have a German Grand Prix in the next year <laughs> or two. Things keep going the way it is, so let's just treasure it while we do instead of more. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. So, um, yeah, Rosberg puts it on pole position. Uh, yeah, stonking uh, lap. He'd, he'd led all through the practices and then Lewis seemed to have done his usual sort of trick of, of turning up and qualifying and then managing to be two or three tenths ahead of uh, Nico in the first uh, the first two qualifying sessions, which always seems to destabilise Nico. And he's never, uh, you know, once... Once he gets to Q three, yeah. you always think, no, he's he's just he's never going to find those those two tenths or whatever it is that he was behind. It's the kind of lap time that he's really needed. You know, he needs to be doing that regularly to to compete with us because uh, you'd always always say one lap. You know, give give them both one lap. Who would you expect to come out on top? And, and on just pure outright one lap speed, you'd, you'd pick Lewis. You know eight times out of ten, you know, so this is the kind of thing that Rosberg needs to be doing far more regularly if he's got a hope in hell of winning this World Championship. And then, lo and behold, he finally manages to do it after being consistently, you know, outdriven in qualifying. And, and he goes and has one of the worst starts in living memory that I can remember seeing. Not just drops down behind Lewis, but behind both the Red Bulls. I mean, he must be. He must have been crying in his helmet when that happened. I finally put it on pole position. I finally got a great chance to control the race in the way that Lewis has been doing for the last several Grand Prix. Get to the first corner first, as we say so often here. You're probably going to win the Grand Prix. It's the nature of Formula One these days. You get to that first corner, you've got such an advantage. And Nico finally puts himself in a position to do it, and then he goes and has the absolutely disgusting start that he did. It, the start reminded me of this. the starts that Lewis was getting at the the start of the season well, that's it. where it just seemed to be that Swings you just, roundabouts, isn't it? just yeah. couldn't work out where to apply the thing and I think part of the problem was is that he got his he's got his wheel spin in the, I think they were saying about third gear so his initial start was you know on par with whatever Lewis was doing got the wheel spin yeah, and sure. I think the problem was is that he then panicked and rather than trying to gain control and do it I think he just tried to keep on going through it and got even more wheel spin in fourth as he was going through so rather than say, you know being able to sort of maybe back out of it, he might not have lost um, three positions. Maybe he'd have only lost it to Lewis, or maybe out to only one of the Red Bulls, and um, or at least been in a position that when they got into the corner, he wasn't behind Danny Ricardo so far that 
he had to really back out and and, and drop back. So it was, it was yeah, it, it wasn't the the greatest control um, in the world, but it, it does happen to the to the best of them quite literally, as as Lewis has uh, has shown this season. You, you know, it's easy to get something like that wrong, and um, it can really hamstring you for the for the rest of the race. I mean, totally, and it's just frustrating that. You know, it's happened to Nico on a day where he's produced such a good quality lap and has such a chance to take back some momentum in the championship. It's the old never rains, but it pours kind of adage. You know, he he finally gets an opportunity to, to control the race and, and, and then something that happens like that. If he, if he was starting in third or fourth on the grid, he probably wouldn't have had this start. You know, it's just, it is what it is. But it was frustrating. It was frustrating from a, a race point of view as well because right away from the first corner, you kind of thought, well, is Lewis going to... But Nico not... not dropping behind the Red Bulls and then you I don't know about you but you couldn't truly believe that the Red Bulls were going to have the pace to challenge Lewis I think he always had them pretty pretty cosily anytime he wanted to crack up the the wick he probably could have done if he needed to yeah I think that was what what we've still missed pretty much all of this season is that Mercedes battle for whatever reason at the start of the season it was because Lewis wasn't in the positions to challenge Nico and then now the roles are reversed and now Nico's nowhere near being able to challenge Lewis throughout a race. There's been times where it's kind of like they've ended up one or two, but there's always been something else going on that's meant that it's not an on-track battle. It's it's at the stage when, you, you know, first is first and second is second. And that, that's applied to both of them, do you know what I mean? It's not a case that... Um, it's just happened to to Nico. Like Lewis has has been caught in those positions where he's had to work harder to get back to second, which means it leaves you in the unenviable position of trying to having to chase down the the equal machinery. And uh, you know whether you think Lewis is supremely much more talented than Nico or not doesn't really come into it by that point because you're always in a suboptimal position. Then um, that's because you've used up all your ability taking up to getting past second, third, fourth guys to get back to. The front anyway. Yeah. What's the so, what's the guy up front? Um, he's casually saving his tires, saving his cruising, fuel, yeah. so, doing what he needs to do for his race, which is absolutely fine. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's a shame that we don't. Uh, and I think we've said this often enough, regardless of who. I, well, especially when Sebastian was out out in front, we we said well, this. It was, I, was just, I was just about to mention Seb. Yeah, he he, he wrote the book on doing this, didn't he? Like, uh, just about. And it doesn't it doesn't make for a great TV spectacle though. Uh, re- regardless of whether you can appreciate how good a driver it was and. You know, in terms of controlling a race and pacing yourself and doing everything that you need to do, Lewis did a masterclass. Do you know what I mean? He got out front, got the leads he needed, kept his tyres, kept his fuel, knew what he needed to do, knew the laps he needed to do, the gaps, didn't panic when those gaps were going down. He knew he had it all in reserve. That's what you need to do to win races in Formula One these days. It's just not massively interesting to watch. Um, when the you know when you're not seeing people vie for the lead of a race. It, it does take a little bit of something off. And I don't want to suggest that this Grand Prix was, say, as bad as Hungary was. Because it wasn't. There, there was quite a lot of action in other places. But we're yeah. still not seeing up front. And that's that's when Formula 1 is most exciting, when you're seeing people battling on track as hard as possible for those top two positions. And it isn't just a case of battling for one lap and then you know, understanding where everybody's going to finish. Agreed completely, and and like you say, there was interesting stuff elsewhere. Because if we take Lewis out of it, the scrap between Ricardo, Verstappen, and Rosberg for mm. second, third, and fourth was was to and fro in the whole way throughout the race. You know, people did a 
some people did slightly different things on strategy. A couple went longer, a couple that went shorter. You know, tires were different at times. Nico got his penalty. There was overtakes. So that between the three of those, they were chopping and changing, and there was interesting stuff. But by this point, Lewis has gone up front, and and it's and ultimately, even though it's good, interesting stuff on track, you know, it's just for second at the end of the day, and and that's always going to take something just a little bit of away from it. So, I don't want to sound rude. Skipping past Lewis because you can't really <laughs> talk about his race because his race was first corner and done. He he, you know he. First corner, managed the gaps, and like you say, he drove a perfect race. We're not knocking him for a second. He drove the race that Sebastian Vettel drove for four years <laughs> and it won a four world championships. So it's just like I completely agree with you. It was absolutely perfect from Lewis. It was just I don't really have anything more to say. It was <laughs> yeah, sometimes sometimes away. perfection doesn't leave you very much room for comment, doesn't it? You go, it was good. Okay, bye. <laughs> have a great time. That's what it is. <laughs> um, I think we should talk about the Red Bull duel um almost that, that never was because it, it wasn't a duel in terms of of on track overtaking it was it was sorted out in strategy but but interesting from the point of view that when max verstappen was in toro rosso we we heard all of those feisty comments about him not getting out of the way of his teammate and the team you know slightly giving in on that and saying oh okay you don't really have to get out of his way then and watching you know that affect the other people <laughs> sort of massively uh and yep. this time around it was clearly a case that max took the slightly worse option for the fact that it meant that he was fighting nico um and daniel was able to take the the more optimum strategy um and only really had to pass his teammate uh, and max got out of the way but it was very interesting after the race to say you know to see Max saying, "Yeah, I, I took one for the team. I've got a good work, good relationship with my teammate. You know, I know in other situations that you know things might be reversed." Um, and I thought that was really interesting to see from Max, given those those various fortunes in Toro Rosso compared to Red Bull. Um, I don't know whether that's just because somebody's like been in his ear and told him you need to stop doing these sort of things. You're in a, you're in the proper team now. Yeah, well, I was just about to say that. You know, he's. He's in the big boy team now, so he has to behave. Where he was a big fish in the smaller Toro Rosso pond, now he's in the big boy team. He need, he, he probably knows he's going to get less leeway with that kind of thing. So um, yeah, I'm not surprised that he did it, and it made sense to do it because Danny came out and was on about ten lap pressure tires. So you know, it made absolute sense. If, I don't think in a, it was a cat's house chance I'm catching Lewis, but if somebody was going out was going to be him on the, mm -hmm. on the more optimum strategy. So it made perfect sense from a team point of view. And I could see that. You could see that. Red Bull could see that. And I'm, I'm sure Max could as well. So it made no sense to fight it when he was only in the team six months. And, you know, he is still the rookie, so to speak, even though he's clearly proven himself as a quality driver. He, he um, Yeah, it, it, it's all about picking your battles, isn't it? And that was not max's battle to fight there it was made perfect sense he's got 10 years in this team potential world championships it, it wasn't time to turn <laughs> on your own rank basically and even though he's only 18 19 years old i think he's smart enough to know that and he made the right decision i think what it was interesting for me and i kind of mentioned this on twitter and um i think people generally agreed i mean people can can tweet us after this and tell us whether you you, you think this is this is true or not but i thought it was interesting because it, it kind of seemed to me to say 
Red Bull have got a nice balance between their drivers now. It's it's Absolutely. not Sebastian and Weber where you had two really good drivers in the car, but the friction was unbearable. And a bit like what's going on in Mercedes with Nico and yep. Lewis and things like McLaren with Alonso and Lewis. Um, I agree completely. I've been thinking that for just the last couple of races. I think the Danny Ricciardo-Max Verstappen combination is quickly becoming one of the most ideal combinations on, on the grid. With Danny Ricciardo's experience, even though he's still young himself, and and then Max is raw. I think it's the thing, isn't talent. it? It's, it's that rather than having two guys at the same point of their career who both want the same thing and they want it now, Max can wait, can't he? He, he can take two or three seasons, potentially, um, of being good in a Red Bull with Ricardo potentially being ahead of him uh, in terms of world championships. But he can stick at it for so much longer. I don't think he's got the same kind of pressure that when you put two really good drivers in competitive cars. And I, Okay, I know the Rebel isn't you know, ch- challenging for wins as yet, but it, it's clearly pretty much now the second best car on the grid. Uh, yep. And that's a big pressure in itself. And and to see that he's taken that on and not gone, oh, I need to, you know, I need to knock this out of the park now. I mean, he's still driving out of his skin and driving incredibly well. But to see that maturity to say, you know, you're right. I don't have to, I don't have to make my point now. I've got more than enough time to, to make my point in uh, other points. I just find that really quite refreshing from somebody I think who we think of as being this young, raw talent. And it was quite a mature approach to the race. Yeah. Totally, and and I think he's he's shown that a, a few times, both in the what he says outside of the car and the way he drives in the car for someone as young and as talented as him, definitely has a sensible head on his shoulders. Coming right round to Max Verstappen, having <laughs> been a bit sort of not not weary, but you know, but just a bit sceptical that everybody was blowing so much smoke around him when when he first came into the thing, and I was like, okay, I'm going to just take a step back and wait and see well i've taken 18 months and i'm seeing and i'm believing so i'm becoming i'm becoming quite the fan yeah absolutely i mean <clears throat> he's the he's still an you know an unpolished diamond at the moment but i think you're starting to starting to see the gleam now as he's putting bits and pieces together to become you know a better racing driver i think he needs to sort out his um method of defense because i think very quickly he's going to end up starting to get in trouble for that now um well, well uh, that's a nice segue on to the, probably the next big incident in the race, which was, of course, Nico overtaking him with a, a late, late lunge into the hairpin. Which he can only do because Max, that's how Max defends. He leaves his car positioned in the middle of the track for as long as possible. And then the, the last possible moment, and that's, that's where the trouble lies, cause, because the last possible moment is often in the braking zone which he's not allowed to do by the rules. The rules are that you, you can't make moves in the braking zone because it's dangerous because it means that if somebody else is making a move, they're also having to make a move in the braking zone, but they're probably going faster and braking later. So it's that much more dangerous. That's much more more likely to, to cause a collision. So I, I think at the moment, he's probably getting away with it because there hasn't been a massively flagrant like even this even mm-hmm. this time which i think is probably worse than the other one the other the Kimi Raikkonen stuff 
Um, I, yep. I think that was much more marginal. This one I thought was less marginal, but still, uh, you know, I, I, if it had gone the other way and they'd let Nico go through and then said he was being investigated for moving in the braking area, I'd have probably gone, oh, that's a bit harsh. You know, it's, it's touch and go. I think he's he's deeper than he probably should be, but he wasn't doing something ridiculous like veering across. Like chopping across. Do you know yeah, what I mean? So, yeah. um, so, having said all that, the right decision for Nico to get a No, penalty? not for me. I'm, I'm with... I'm with... Martin Brundle. Yeah, I'm with Brundle on the fact that I think, you know, it wasn't the prettiest move. He has done what he's done a few times and he's and nico you have to say has done this a lot um and it, it just so happens that the last two times he's done it he's got a penalty but his move of coming uh up the inside with somebody on the outside and then going right to the edge of the corner so that they have to back off he's been doing that for seasons now without getting any penalty so if people were saying suggesting now somehow you know this is you know this is a sign of his bad driving it it, it isn't Austria was terrible he he was he did a stupid there uh, and there's there's <laughs> there's no way of getting around that that was a, a a poorly thought out poorly executed uh move that was when he was defending and, it, and it was and that's why it was such a a stupid thing to do having lost he needed to give up but that's how I view this with Max. Nico had got the move done and, I, you know, as not turning as much as he could might come into it. He was there, at, you know, at the epics at the corner uh, before uh, Max was. Max was going around the outside. It was always going to be longer. It was always going to leave him slower on the thing. I think at that point he has a choice. He can do what Esteban Gutierrez did which is break and try and come back under and get a better um, drive out of the corner. Or he has to give up the place like most people would and say, well, I don't really want to be, I don't really want to run out of road because that's where the other car's going to be. So I'll, I'll back off and see what I can do. Um, I, I think he chooses to go, ah, well, I can break later now. Um, uh, and therefore I, I must be given the corner. But, you know, he's he's on the outside having been overtaken. And I, I think at that point you have to say, well, the, the quantum inevitability is I will see a Mercedes heading from right to left as this corner goes. Um, and unless I've gotten ahead of him, I'm I, I'm going to starting to, you know, my, my tyres are going to be leaving the track limits. Uh, yeah, you're going to run out of road. So I, I just I mean, think, I think it's just a racing move. It didn't ruin Max's race um, or anything like that. It wasn't dangerous because Max could see him every single step of the way, which is why he has the choice. Um, and I think it's ridiculous if Formula One is going to start penalising these kind of overtakes because it wasn't a marginal overtake. It wasn't some big lock-up out of control into the corner like Valtteri Bottas in... Um, was it Bahrain where he T-boned Lewis? Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. He's coming in at double the speed of anybody else. Yeah, and and just, just, you know, yeah, it wasn't that. I agree. It wasn't that. I agree with pretty much everything you're saying. Um, I'm, I'm with you, and, and Brundle was pretty vocal about this. We can't be punishing these types of moves, or we're just not. I mean, get, give F1 a chance, man. Eh? Like, it's. We, you know, there's a lot of criticism and negativity surrounding F1 at, at times these days 
and and penalising this type of move isn't going to help it. You need to give them enough. Like, this is what we want to see. We want to see guys going for it. We want to see drivers sticking one up the inside. Sometimes things like this happen. I, I, it's, it's not a penalty for me. It, it, it's if anything, a tick on the wrist for Nico to say, watch what you're doing, be careful, try not to do that again. But not not an official penalty for me. Um, and the same, kind of the same way describing Max back in Hungary. I wouldn't have given him a penalty for that. I would have just said, look, you were a bit close to the edge there. Just watch out for that. And the same goes for Nico here. And and that's enough because we don't want to discourage this 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 type of driving because otherwise what we're going to get is, you know, well, 22 cars just driving around one after the it, other. It means, it means nobody overtakes into corners, do they? Because they'll be utterly... Um, or they'll only ever to ever overtake into a corner where they're already they're, massively they're already ahead, ahead and yeah. like the pass on yeah. the straight. But that's 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 the only pass we'll get. We'll get straight that's DRS no passes. That's no fun. That isn't that's boring. That isn't fun. So As, know, especially these days when the cars are so spread across the field, there isn't a lot of uh, you know chances as it is because the car performances are so disparate. Do you know what I mean? There's such a gap between each set of cars. Um, you lower the the ability to see all of that kind of on-track action anyway. And it, and it does end up being half the time down to DRS because it's the only way that you can then gain that boost that gets you ahead of, of the car in front. So, you know, you're, you're completely right. that If we want to see cornering in, uh, overtakes in, into corners, you've got to give the drivers some amount of leeway to to make these moves and um, you know, so long as they're not being dangerous or doing things, you know, hiding behind the, the back of a car in the slipstream and then coming out of the last second and spearing across a corner and it being all out of control. And this certainly wasn't that. Um, if you start trying to tell people that you, you have to have everything inch perfect before you do it. What was It's like the, <laughs> the Arsenal knocking the ball about for a whole entire game because they needed to score the perfect goal. It had to have had 20 passes before you put it into the net. You couldn't just lob it into the box and head it in. If that's what we're expecting for Vaughan, that everything has to be on the edge of perfection, you can't have any ragged, aggressive movements, F1 is just going to get more and more stale. Yeah, it is. It isn't correct. It isn't fun. It's, it's it's robotic. It's it's just yeah. It's not what I want to see. I want to see guys ragged and stringing out and being forced wide and everything. That's fun. Like you know, Verstappen was pushed off the line very very marginally by Nico. You could say that. But then I'm not penalising Nico. So then Verst- I'd be encouraging Verstappen to make similar types of overtake it overtakes on Nico to get him back. You know, I want to just see them all go at it, hammer and tong. Uh, we can't we can't get to an era where we're just following round follow the leader. It's already like that enough as it is at times without discouraging this type of move. So not a penalty for me, but equally not a penalty for Verstappen's defending and Hungary. It goes both ways. So what ha- what happened elsewhere? Well, uh, outside the top four. Just before we move on, Nico um, fourth place. I, once Lewis's championship of your. A betting man here, isn't it? It's tough to well, really tough if Nico comes back. I think the that. thing is, is that you can you say that, but you go, 
oh, what, you know, Nico had a 63, you know, 63 point lead and now it's nine behind. But it's like, why can't that go back? You know, if if you if you're suggest if you're a person who suggests that it can't swim back to Nico Rosberg, then you're you're blind to the fact that if you think that Lewis Hamilton can't possibly have any bad days, despite the fact that he had he's had quite a few bad days this season, a lot due to reliability. You know, don't get me wrong, but you know, like I say, all of those starts they weren't mechanical issues. Uh, let's um, let's be realistic here. There's there's until it's mathematically impossible, there is no such thing as a point swing that is too large. Realistically. Um, of course, of course, but you know, if I was having a bet, it, it you know, it's how... difficult now because it feels like you know four four wins in a row for Lewis. Um, the, the the deficit has been turned into a positive. It's very hard to see past him going on. He's got and... all the momentum, doesn't he? And that's the problem. And we've spoken before here about how Nico's head can get the better of him, and he he gets his morale down, and 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 he's not the best at coming back in those situations where Lewis, I think, has the edge on him there. Whereas if Lewis is 30, 40 points behind, as he's proved this season, he doesn't really, you wouldn't really know it. Um, he kind of just gets stuck in and can, can bounce back, a, I would say, a little bit better than Nico. So I worry about Nico from behind. I think he had to be in front the whole way. When he was 40 points in front, I think he had to stay in front. Now that he's behind, I don't fancy him to come from behind. I think so, it's, I think it's I infinitely mean, harder, definitely. Uh, that... Whereas if Lewis, if, I mean, if we, were, if, if we swapped the two positions around right now and we had Lewis nineteen points behind, I'd still say I think Lewis has got a great chance from there. But with Nico, I'm, I'm less, much less confident on him being able to claw a deficit back. We'll see what happens. Oh, Lewis has got all of his engine woes and things to come, so we'll guess we'll wait and see. I don't. It's still a long, long old way to go. Do you think the the Formula One break has come at a good time? For Nico or a bad time? Do you think it's better that we've now got a break between? Oh, that's, a, that's a difficult one to answer. You know, you got one hand that says you want to just get stuck in and, and get back on yeah. the horse, and then you got the other hand that says, "Yeah, have a break, go home, regroup." All those kind of things. It's a really <laughs> difficult one. Never been a professional sportsman, so I don't, as much as I'd love to have been, but <laughs> uh, I don't, I don't know the answer. I'd say probably good for Nico to have the break if I was, if I, but I'd, yeah, I think probably good. Nicholas, Lewis has got a lot of momentum, doesn't he? He's won how many in a Four, row? So, yeah, so you have to say probably a good thing to break that momentum. Fifth and sixth then. Le Ferrari. La Ferrari. Uh, uh, yeah, now I mean, the third best team on the grid? I think, I think it's clear. Uh, the Red Bull is a superior package to that Ferrari. I don't think anybody would have any debates there. So, yeah, so the Ferraris, I mean, they're probably looking towards 2017. You can't realistically see them winning another Grand Prix with this season with that with that car. It probably makes sense for them to look forward to next year, you know, all the changes that are coming in, giving Seb a, a championship-winning car. So uh, going forward from here, from the end of the season, it, it doesn't look like... It looks like fifth and sixth with the odd podium... It's going to be the the height of their ambition, which is sad. But at this point, I'd I'd give up this the rest of the season as a Ferrari fan quite happily if it meant we had a real car in twenty seventeen. You know, a real Grand Prix winning car. So it would be a sacrifice I'd be willing to make. Let's just touch wood. Hope we, we hope I hope we get it. Speaking of that kind of design side of stuff, obviously the big news coming out of Ferrari this week was that James Allison, who's been kind of masterminding the the resurrection of Ferrari from um, post Alonso times. Um, is now left Ferrari completely. Obviously, he'd um, he'd gone back to the UK after his wife had sadly passed away to to look after his kids and stuff. Uh, but interesting that 
Ferrari couldn't seem to find him a role or something for him to do whilst being based in the UK. It seemed like the suggestion was in some way, um, you know, if Alison w- wasn't prepared to come back and work in Italy, then there wasn't really a role for him at Ferrari, which seems very strange. Um, he's definitely going to be on the radar for uh, a lot of teams, I think. Um, I can't remember. It was, uh, Brundle said uh, he thought uh, McLaren was going to be a good fit, but um, I can't remember. There was a team that they were specifically linked with. I think it might have been Renault, possibly. Um, but yeah, I don't know enough. I don't know enough a lot about the situation with James Allison. Obviously, his, his wife sadly passed away. I just, from what it sounded as if he'd made the decision to completely take a step back from F1. That was the way I read it. I might be wrong there. So that to 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 obviously focus on on his home matters. So I don't overly expect him to turn up at another team in the in the very near future. However, I'm sure, no doubt, once things have you know you know got gotten a bit better at, at home and things he, he will be a, a target for teams but i don't i don't expect him to to be turning up certainly anytime in the next 6 months to a year i don't see him in another team well see the suggestion for that means is that uh, again i i don't see why ferrari couldn't have found him a role that meant he could be at home for until he is ready and keep him on and with the team because essentially all they've done is put him on the free market which it's kind of crazy, which is why I think it's it's down to the fact that they couldn't agree a term. Ferrari weren't happy to make whatever concession it would it, it would have meant to have kept him on. I think because uh, you know I know he's got youngish kids, but that, that you know that's not necessarily gonna you know. And I'm sh- I'm sure he's been well paid in the past. You know what I mean? I'm sure he's not sat at home having to do you know the single parent kind of life, cleaning the house and doing all the other bits and pieces. He's he's got to make sure they go to school and he's there in the evenings and stuff, but. You, I don't. You can't possibly tell me that Ferrari couldn't have found something to keep him on for, you know, the rest of this season and even ne- ne- next year, even if it, that's assuming even just to keep him off the job that's market. Assuming, that, that's assuming he wanted to work. You know, maybe I said I don't know enough about it. But what if he he just doesn't? He's just not interested in well, working then, for the Well, then the suggestion for for me then is that he would have probably have gone sooner. Well, maybe I don't. I don't know enough a lot about. I mean, I mean, okay. It might be what you say. Everything, everything that I've kind of read about it makes it feel like it's not, and it was a case that um, Ferrari haven't found a, a place for him that doesn't involve him being in Italy, which is what he was doing previously. I don't know either way, to be honest. I'm just speculating, so it would probably be unfair to to, to put a, a definitive comment. But yeah, I guess we'll wait and see in the next sort of six months whether he turns up somewhere else. I, I mean... He's a quality quality guy to have in any team, so any team would be uh, would be quite ha- glad to have him, especially someone like McLaren. I imagine you're a McLaren fan, would you? Like I mean, him absolutely. There? He's definitely got. Um, it, it, I think the the interesting thing is to see whether he would work with maybe some of the other people there. There's definitely a design philosophy going on at, at McLaren, which at the moment seems to be paying dividends. So whether they feel whether that would be an upset to to what they're doing, whether they look at it and go, well, look, you know, this is a guy who because um, he's chassis, I think as opposed to something like uh, Promary, who is the aero guy they got from Red Bull. So it's it's all about whether what... You know, whether it fits Yeah, in, does, yeah. does everything sync together when you've got two, you know, two people with very clear designs about what's going on? Um, but, he, I mean, clearly he's going to be an asset to, to whatever team he goes through. And I think it could be interesting because, you know, obviously uh, 
there's a lot of teams looking to rebuild and you know Renault especially there's a lot of money to throw at that project I'm sure that they could take him on um, in whatever You're role talking. he needed to be uh, until he was ready to, to come back and uh, and do more if you're talking about British-based teams as well, you know, Williams, have, they've got a bit of a rebuilding job to do. They've got Rob Smedley in there, who's obviously worked with, with him before, having been at Ferrari. Like you say, there won't be any shortage of suitors if he is if he is open and willing to come back to full-time work. So time will tell on that one. We'll wait and see. Um, a bit of a funny re- race, because the, the, the Ferrari swapped places. I can't remember if that was just on, like, on track in the first corner, where the it was just Seb getting ahead of Kimi off off the start, or uh, it changed in the in the pits. Whether I'm honestly not even no. sure. <laughs> we didn't see a lot <laughs> of the Ferrari in the race. That, that in itself tells you yeah. the story, doesn't it? They're just in a little. Well, look at the timings. You know, they're considerably behind the the top four, but a league of their own against the Force Indias. So they're just in this little gap of of no man's land in fifth and sixth. And it might well just be that's where they find themselves for the rest of the season. Um, so after the Ferraris, we have uh, Nico Hulkenberg in the Force India. Good, good race for him. Um, this time out, he qualified uh, eighth, finishes seventh. Um, so solid from him. Um, filling in the place where you would expect a Force India to probably... Uh, finish on a on a more power based circuit like Hockenheim than uh, in Hungary where they were incredibly off the pace, um, and a, a, a fair few places ahead of uh, Sergio Perez as well. Um, what is it? What is this thing that seems to be going on Formula One that whenever somebody appears to be the next big target, immediately they get hit with a ton of bricks one way or the other. It was it was Valtteri Bottas. Where is he? Um, right, where is Valtteri it Bottas? Was, it was... Terry, Claire, Claire Williams doesn't know where Valtteri <laughs> Bottas has been for the last six months, that's for sure. Um, Sergio <laughs> Perez was the next big thing after a couple of races, and he's had two very poor races comparatively afterwards. Well, that was my kiss of yes. death. I was talking him up for the Ferrari driver, but two days later he starts from the Um Daniel Ricciardo, obviously worse than then, you know, Max Verstappen came in, and he's had definitely a... You know, probably he's been good the last couple of races, but you know, in, in, in interesting. It's funny there just seems to be this this talk of whoever the these next drivers are, and then Im- immediately yeah. they disappear off the radar, and somebody else pops up and says, "Oh yes, we'll have a bit of him." Roman Grosjean, yes, Roman Grosjean, good example of that. Uh, it's just the nature of the midfield in Formula One. I think anybody, you know, going from seventh down to seventeenth, depending on the track and the you know how things go, anybody can really finish ahead of anybody there. Um, Perez has had two scrappy Grand Prix, but he's still finishing the points here. Uh, you know, and who's he finished behind? He's finished behind his teammate Jensen in the McLaren, which seems to have got his act together, and Bottas. So I mean, it's, I mean, it's not terrible company paper. or anything. It's not. Yeah, of course. So like, I mean, so it's just it's just the nature. It's a bit like the championship and and football. You know, any team can beat anybody, and 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 the and the, and the Formula One midfield's exactly like that. Force India, McLaren, Williams have been sucked into that. There was a time when you'd say Williams were above that, but they're definitely not now. They've been sucked well and truly into that midfield battle. So you've got Williams, McLaren, Force India, Haas, Toro Rosso. They're all in there, and they can all beat each other on any given day, really. And it just so happens that Hulkenberg was best of the rest here. And it's his home Grand Prix, so glad to see he had a good drive. I like Nico a lot. Glad to see he had a good drive. And uh, and then in eighth, Jensen 
you know that you know you 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 called it that McLaren's improving. You've called it from an early stage this season. You said that's going to improve past improve past a few those uh, those midfield teams, and you've definitely you were definitely right with that one. So well done there. Uh, I think this was an interesting race for McLaren because it it wasn't a track I think that they were necessarily looking forward to particularly. You know what I mean? Even with the the neutering of the track somewhat, it's still a fast track. Really, it's not a it's not high aero and 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 downforce. Uh, prevalent, um, which is obviously where the McLaren is shining at the moment with the engine. Um, but you know, he he started twelfth um, and finished finishes eighth, and we saw the McLaren on screen overtaking cars a lot this race, like more than we probably seen, <laughs> yeah, more than we've seen for a season and a half, I think potentially in one race. Um, and that you know, I, I know some of those were, were passing, you know, Massa when he, and he had his problem and stuff, but still. Um, what that w- what was interesting about that was that even though still <laughs> irritatingly they were still having to fuel save like crazy at the end of the race because the Honda is still thirsty because it's using all the uh, extra fuel to power the turbo and all the other bits and gubbins which all the other teams have got nice um, you know uh, systems in that that are, are a lot less thirsty a lot more economical um, especially the Mercedes which is incredibly economical, which is part of their, you know, part of why they're, they're so good because they need so much less fuel. Um, I think that's a stunning drive from Jensen in, in reality. Um, pushed hard. Uh, what was it? The, was the, I love the little radio message. Uh, Bottas is ahead on uh, 20 lap old tires. <laughs> yeah, I'm I going. Like, <laughs> I mean, it's interesting you mentioned Bottas because we come, ne- come to him next as ninth and ninth place and, he was about sixth or seventh. And I think he was trying to wring out a stint for about forty laps or something ludicrous. And did you see the final the final five laps of his Grand Prix? He was literally on ice skates trying to get the thing home. He was about five seconds a lap slower than Jensen, who was catching him to pass him. It was it was a proper edge of the cliff <laughs> stuff that we haven't we haven't quite seen for a couple of seasons. You know, tires have definitely become more durable. But on this one occasion, Bottas and Williams, their strategy guys, have chosen to to do something that clearly was just not feasible. And I, I think bottom, bottom was about 10 seconds behind with about three laps to go, and he still managed to, to pass him. He took like five seconds out of him on one lap. Poor Bottas dragging it home. But, you know, he finished ninth. Uh, and and if he'd have pitted, he'd have been so much further behind. Though, yeah. And, uh, and, and he's coming up against... The, and he's going to then come up against probably maybe... Uh, at least one of the Hasses, if not both, uh, his um, Perez in the Force India, and both McLarens. There's yeah. no guarantee yeah, that that car was going to get him that much farther than through all of those, even with much fresher tyres. Um, you have to say it kind it kind of worked out for them. Like I was saying about Perez and who he finished behind and who could he have actually realistically hoped to to beat here. Bottas, the Williams just doesn't really have the pace to be challenging the top six here. So the best position you could say he was probably going to achieve is seventh, and he's came ninth. You know, not the best in the world, but it probably could have been worse. And that's a wee bit of a shame that we're saying that about Williams. We'll be looking at ninth as a half decent result because there was a time when podiums were were on their agenda, and that has just not not transpired this season. Uh, so yeah, we covered. Um... All of those, uh, well, really, really, we've covered everybody in the top ten. So uh, Hulkenberg, Button, Bottas, Perez, um, Esteban Gutierrez in eleventh in probably his best race of the season. I would have said. 
He's had a few elevenths, and the guy from Haas was saying this recently. It was like he just keeps, he just keeps finding one too good. He just needs that point scoring sort of confidence boost. He definitely has improved without a shadow of doubt because he's him and Ericsson would have been the two at the start of the season that I looked at the grid and just went, well, those two are there for reasons other than driving talent with a sneer, you know. He definitely has improved. I still think he's quite lucky to have his seat, yeah. but he has definitely improved. And he hasn't scored a point, though, in F1, ever. And he, that's all his time at Sauber and all his time at Haas. So he really just needs that <laughs> yeah. point. Like, he needs that you say all that time at Sauber, but... <laughs> It wasn't. He had a season. It wasn't exactly the greatest Sauber. It wasn't the Sauber that um, Sergio Perez was uh, battling up front with, was it? You know, it was. It I mean, it's not as bad points. as the Sauber this season, which is. That's what I was going to say. It scored points, which is better than. Like what nothing have is now, as bad it? as Sauber is this season. That's, I mean, I've been watching Formula One pretty much in Sauber's entire existence, which is about twenty years. I've never seen as bad a Sauber as we have this season, but that's another story. Gutierrez, yeah, he's had two or three eleventh places, and he just does need that that sort of that one point just to get him off the mark and get him going. Um, he was he was the guy that was making moves in the Haas this um, this race, making overtakes. He didn't really see very much of Roman Grosjean. Grosjean's definitely gone off the boil, which is a bit of a shame because I'm as big a Roman fan as anybody. Definitely need to see be seeing a bit more out of him for sure. Yeah, I don't really know what's happened. He he was funny because he had the the, the the purple patch of the first two races, uh, and then all we heard from him the next three or three races was him complaining about how terrible the chassis was. Then he seemed to sort of come back a bit, and then he thought, oh, okay, well, maybe he's got a hold of it. But he seems to have gone off again now. It's been a very patchy season for him. Um, yeah, it's maybe just the nature of driving a Formula One car that's in its first ever season. You know, you can you, you're probably going to get inconsistency. Uh, next year will be the big acid test, I think. You know, they've had a They've had their one season wonder, so to speak, Cass. Can what can they do next year when everybody's expecting a little bit more of them, you know? Pressure will be on a wee bit more than it, than it is this season. Aye, that's true. That's true. Um Carl Splitting the Hasses. Yeah. Uh, your man man Fernando. He was in the points for a minute and then uh, I seen he dropped back. What was the problem? He with um <laughs> he got slightly too greedy on his fuel and, and... Uh, what was happening was when he was catching up with Jensen and, and like Jensen was fuel saving and going, uh, ooh, my, <laughs> my teammate's catching up with me. But the problem was is that at that point he was using up too much of his tyres and, and fuel. Um, so he caught up and got there uh, and then at the end of the race to make sure he got to the finish, he had to back off s- so significantly because he was 10th um, and then I, I think like with two laps to go uh, and then finishes 12th. So he, you know he dropped back, he had to drop back massively to to finish. I think they were I think he was suggesting that he used about ninety nine percent of all of his fuel. There was only about a hundred grams or something in the <laughs> in the tank at the end of it or something ridiculous. Fair so um I mean he was he was no, having it... a good race as well. It's just uh, that is the unfortunate nature of the M- McLaren Honda partnership at the moment is that all the things they're getting right, there is this still niggling fundamental problem about, you know, um the the turbo side of stuff, which I don't know whether they're going to do this season, um, and that's that's a worry for me as a McLaren fan. Is that they're going to introduce something something at Spa? They said, or well, that's when they were thinking of introducing something very definitely. But if it isn't all of these improvements to uh, the efficiency side of stuff that they need to to get on par, because I, I think that engine is clearly you know pretty much as good as it needs to be for 2016. Do you know what I mean? I don't. I think there's not. 
a massive power difference like there was last season. I don't think they're stunningly down on brake horsepower, except to maybe the Mercedes, but then everything seems to be, you know, down on power to the Mercedes. Um, yep. And the car seems to be be pretty good because they're, you know, regardless of having not the the best engine and we're not running the Mercedes engine, they're ahead uh, and, and dicing with teams that do have it in there. So that feels like it's the last little step and I'm desperate for them to actually introduce that successfully this season. Not necessarily at its peak of performance, but just something if they could, you know, they could half this this efficiency. I think it would make them so much more competitive. You wouldn't have this horrific thing where they turn up on um, Friday practice FP1 and a 6th and 7th because they're running their engine as high as they can possibly run it and then they just drop back and back over the other FPs as all the other teams turn up the wick of their engines to, to get, you know, uh, the performance that they, they want to test. Uh, that's what I want to see from them. But I don't, I have a sneaking suspicion that we're not going to get those type of improvements until after the season when they can, they don't have to tokenize it and they don't have to worry about it. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, I think I agree with you on that one. Uh, and, and, and it's a similar sort of comments that we made about Ferrari is that, you got to sacrifice this season now, pretty much, for the hope of delivering. Uh, you got Fernando Alonso in that car. Ferrari have got Sebastian Vettel in that car. They need to give these guys a car that can win Grand Prix. This is two of the best drivers of the last twenty years. You need to give them uh, a car that can win Formula One Grand Prix. So would you sacrifice the next six months to give them a chance of doing that? Because Fernando Alonso isn't getting any younger. He's not got much long left in the sport. Vettel has got still got a good few years in him yet, but you know he's time's getting on, and 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 you know he's not the kind of guy that will hang about at Ferrari if they aren't giving him the car. So yeah, we need to see a twenty seventeen car for both of those teams capable of winning races. So I'm I'm quite happy to see them sacrifice the next six months if it means we get we get that. So, you know, it is what it is. It, it has to be done. Uh, interestingly though um, McLaren have said that they're not giving up on 2016 they are still going to develop this car because they feel that what they can bring to it is relevant for 2017 well that and that's a fair point yeah that is a fair point because as like you say about McLaren there is there's room for improvement isn't there the scope is still in the things, car yeah there's things there that would improve that they could deal with now that would benefit next year whereas I think that's less true of Ferrari yes Ferrari I think Ferrari have they've Developed they've, into they've that eked way. Everything out of that car, yeah. They've eked everything out of that car that they could probably can, and now it's a case of back to the drawing board. Let's build a fresh car and let's make it good. Whereas McLaren have, like you say, a bit of engine reliability stuff and fuel saving, all that kind of thing that, that that could be improved now that will definitely be relevant for next season. So definitely agree with that point. Sure. Um, so yeah, we we mentioned Fernando in twelfth, then Roman Grosjean in thirteenth, having a another slightly anonymous race uh, for the Frenchman. Swiss Frenchman, wherever he's from. Uh, <laughs> then we've got both the Toro Rossos. Um, for once, not a lot of distance between them. Um, poor old Danny Kvyat sounding more and more miserable on the radio. Um, this was grim this weekend for Danny. Uh, one of the female reporters, I can't remember what their names are, said um, uh, something like, oh, I can't remember what she said, but 
it was like, how are you feeling? And it was just the worst, most depressing interview I've seen in a while. And someone commented like on the BBC feed or something like, can you somebody please get a whip round to get Danny Kvyat a hug, yeah. please? Like, yeah, there just, needs to be some kind of permanent uh, suicide watch on him, I think. It feels it like it's... It's just not good, man. It's not good, the poor kid. But uh, we talk about Danny Kvyat every week. I don't know what the future is now. It's becoming worse and worse every time we see a Grand Prix. Definitely at the Toro, so whether he can even say this, a seat in F1 is becoming highly doubtful now. Maybe he has to go and race in America or in DTM or something to get some sort of dignity back. That might be the only solution here. Yeah, he um, he had a very sweary interview at uh, some uh, Russian reporters who were suggesting that his seat was already gone. Um, I mean, I, I think it is. Uh, sadly, <laughs> I have a feeling that I think it is as well. I, I think there's... Um, I think Pierre Gasly is doing too much in GP2 now for them to go, hmm, Gasly's got a really good chance of winning that series, in which case he needs to drive. Hmm, we have a drive. Yeah, <laughs> just, it just happens to have Danny Kvyat. Really the- he, he needed to step back from the Red Bull into Toroso and be comprehensively beating Carlos yeah. Sainz to make it clear that, okay, you've taken me out by the Red Bull, but I'm clearly the man that should be in the Red Bull, you know? And he hasn't done that. He hasn't remotely done that. And he's had he's, he's had a bit of bad luck, but it's just yeah. I mean, he's he's not only slipped behind Max Verstappen behind the pecking order, who he initially got knocked out of the seat for, but he slipped behind Carlos Sainz. And as you really, rightly point out, he's probably slipped behind Pierre Gasly as well. So it looks like the end is nigh for poor Danny. Uh, his best, uh, you know, his best hope possibly is that somebody else picks off Carlos Sainz for a drive somewhere well but, uh, yeah. that seems incredibly unlikely now that um you know the mercedes is obviously full and um and ferrari have re-signed kimmy there's not you know um what kind of what kind of dosh does he bring as a russian i assume he brings something but i mean that's the step up drive is is less of a requirement on that the, the you know at this point you're possibly saying that pff, unless force india got rid of somebody um or williams got rid of uh, Massa and probably couldn't get Button. Um, th- those are his the best step up options he could really, really hope for. Um, I was just one. I was just thinking maybe, um, maybe Haas if he needs money if he brings money with him. Yeah, then he's got to he's got to supplant Gutierrez then really, hasn't he? Because Grosjean's the money driver there, isn't he? In terms yeah, of, uh, of course, of the one that they're expecting results from. Um, but if, if if he brings say, a similar amount of money than Gutierrez, Gutierrez has the Ferrari that. connection though as well. That's, oh, that's often true. worth remembering. That's true. Um, Very true. Although surely Ferrari aren't looking at Gutierrez and thinking he's a potential driver. Uh, you'd be surprised, wouldn't you? That's a horrible thing to say, but you're right that you'd be really surprised <laughs> if he was really on the Ferrari radar when there's he isn't. So I wonder if they might kick him out and bring in then someone who is on the Ferrari radar. That would be interesting. I don't even know who would be the next I'm not sh- to a Ferrari. I'm not seat. sure who the Ferrari young drivers are at this at this point. I, I can't really see Ferrari picking. They don't seem to follow the Red Bull model of sticking their young hot prospect in the car. They'd much rather put a, a Perez or a Hulkenberg or a, or a Grosjean, I think, in the car. Someone who's done a bit, yeah. you know. I can't. So I'm not sure that's as important, maybe. But I don't know, who knows, time will tell. Uh, and then there's the other team for Fiat would be Sauber, but I mean, there's a point where it's like, why bother? So much, well, so. and at this point, would you have Danny Kvyat over Felipe Nasser particularly? 
And at that point, you'd probably uh, say... I mean, I still, I still would. I still would, but... Uh... I don't think it's as big a toss. In, uh, when he was driving for Red Bull, when he first got on that team, you'd have said, yes, absolutely. If you're going to give me the, Danny Vickett with all of the confidence behind him, then yes. But That's it, that's true. Um, you know, if you had a Williams, you'd have taken them six months ago, but now you're looking at that and going, do we want to take this guy whose confidence is shot to pieces and may not work out at all? Whereas but if, from Danny Fiat's point of view, I think if he gets an opportunity to stay in the, in the sport, even if it's with a lower-down team, he should take it. Because if he can go into even Sauber, say, and comprehensively beat his teammate for a season... It will show other teams that you know I've still got something. So I think he, even if even if it's a step down, he should still take it. Whether he's got the heart and fight for it, it remains to be seen. Because he's like his body language and stuff over this weekend wasn't wasn't great at all. So behind the two Toro Rossos came Kevin Magnussen um, in the Renault, who was um, was I think uh, around twelfth or thirteenth. But was the other person that tried to hang it out for a two-stop strategy. Uh, Renault came into quite a bit of sort of vitriolic abuse on uh, on Twitter, bless them, because they've got such a nice Twitter team. Um, from probably very angry Danes wondering why they didn't pull him into the pits and stuff. But I think at the end of the day, so when you're around those sort of things, sometimes you will just say, "Okay, well everybody's going to a three. It seems like it is the right thing now." But you know, he started. Um, He'd started 16th anyway, so I, I guess the the they probably looked at it and went, well, let's see if we can um, let's see if we can hang this out. Maybe it won't be as bad as it possibly might be. Uh, sadly, it was. Um, I guess at the end of the difference between 13th and 16th for Renault at this moment doesn't probably make very much difference to them. So why not try and do something? I, guess, I mean, yeah, I guess not really. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's that bottom six at the moment, and the two Renaults, the two Manners, the two Sauber's, they're kind of two by two a little bit in that bottom six. They're not good enough to break into that midfield battle. Uh, yeah, so that's it's not great, but you know, happier days in the future, you would hope. Uh, good race for Pascal Verline to finish seventeenth. Uh, I mean, he started seventeenth, but he's you know finishing consistently above the Sauber's now. Um, uh, good fast laps, making you know making the most out of that mana car. Um, you'd have to say that any race where a mana finishes ahead of other cars is a good race for mana. Um, yep, I think Verline's proven he's doing the Danny Ricardo and the uh, I don't know who else has went into a lower down team and clearly proven they've got something. You know, Danny did it in the HRT going back. You know, years Fernando Alonso did it in a Minardi, that kind of thing. Like, he's proven he's he's clearly got ability. He's gone into the weakest team on the grid and shown that. Okay, I'm in the weakest team. But I'm going to show that I've got something here, and he's doing it well. Uh, you know, they're obviously boosted by the Mercedes engine, but he's still clearly showing that he's not. He's not just your average manor driver. He's someone with clearly a bit more potential. Question is, where does he go from here? Because it's going to be tough to break into that Mercedes anytime soon. I think ideally for Verline, as a little sort of snowball reaction, you want you want Kimi Räikkönen out of the Ferrari, and then whoever goes whoever leaves a midfield team to go to Räikkönen's seat opens up an opportunity for Verline in a midfield team. But obviously Räikkönen isn't going to leave the Ferrari next season. So does Verline do another season in the Manor? 
I mean, at this stage, that looks like his only option. So it's not the worst option in the world. That banner's proven this season that on its day it can probably grab a point or two. So it's not the worst worst thing in the world to be could, there. Could the, could the ironic thing be that um, if uh, one of the guys we're going to talk about soon, Julian Palmer, loses his seat at Renault, well, it could be it could be a reasonable know, situation yeah. that Esteban Ocon, the other Mercedes driver, could get his drive in a potentially much better Renault from from, from essentially sitting yeah. out a year. <laughs> he could get royally. Uh... That'd be interesting. Though. It'd be interesting if the manor was able to develop going into next year, and we could get it'd be a fair comparison to see Verlaine versus Ocon, and, and and who's who's the better of the two, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, the the resource gap between those two teams makes you think it's got it's going to be phenomenal, and you're assuming that the Renault's got much bigger fish to fry next season. But they have to they still have to build the car and design the car, so we'll wait and see. I suppose that's true. <laughs> uh, Ericsson finishes 18th in the Sauber, which is very good from starting plum last, um, and ahead of Julian Palmer in the Renault. Did something happen to Julian? I can't remember because uh, he know. he qualified his teammate fairly comprehensively, got into Q2. Um, and I don't remember why he's ended up 19th. I don't know the answer. Hmm. Did he Did he do a two-stop as well? Did they both do that for both? I don't know. Anyway, terrible race for Jolion to finish, to qualify two places above your teammate and then finish four places below him uh, or three three places below him is not, a, is not the thing you want to do when you're eyeing up your seat for 2017. It's like... It's like we always say that if you're in a car like that and it's not going to score points, you have to beat your teammate. And Julian isn't doing that, sadly. Uh, yeah, we, we've talked about it enough. The writing's on the wall there, I think, for, for poor Julian. Uh, Rio Harrianto then finishes in 20th place uh, and we lost uh, Felipe Nasa and Felipe Massa. The... Felipe Massa's race was a bit of a... And I might just have to go backwards for 30 laps before they decided to just say, okay, enough is enough. <laughs> no, he got, got a shunt, didn't he, in the second corner, I think it was, up the back from somebody. And then. But... And that was it, all she wrote, really, yes. wasn't it? I've never, it's funny, I've never seen them pull into the pits and just look at the back of the car for like 15 <laughs> seconds. It was really weird. I almost expected somebody to sort of start shaking their head and tucking their teeth and saying things like, it's going to cost you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> so Hockenheim, on reflection, uh, an average GP? Not terrible, not great, just good mm, enough? I'm, 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 I'm a wee bit reluctant to give it more than four out of ten, to be honest. But that's probably my own um, biases coming into it. All my teams didn't have a particularly good race, so that's probably affecting my opinion <laughs> of the race, to be honest. Well, I'd on... say 5 out of 10. If I, if I was trying to try my best to be completely neutral, I'd probably say 5 out of 10. I see, I was probably saying something like a 5 or a 6 out of 10. It was, um, it, it, you know, it was, it was good enough. There was overtaking in the midfield. Um, we only were realistically denied that upfront battle that we were really hoping for. Uh, and I try not to take the the penalty that I disagree with into into consideration with that rating because I think the penalty really really robbed us of it. But that's not it's not the racetrack's fault. <laughs> oh, that's true. <laughs> so we are on the Formula One summer break. I was going to say we're all going on our summer holiday. Something like we? that. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
Spa to look forward to when we we come back. Always something nice to look forward to August uh, through August. You know, it's going to, at least it's going to be a good racetrack when we get back. Yeah. Isn't it? Um, we might, as a podcast, try and do some kind of maybe a mid-season review special, possibly with some friends if we can. Well, find any friends who actually want to come on and do a mid-season special with us, um, just to to break it up so that in a couple of weeks' time you've got something to listen to to, you know, uh, give you that little fix of Formula One whilst you you wait for the next race. Um, but I think that is all that she wrote for the German Grand Prix and also all she wrote for the Last Lap podcast this week. Uh, if you want to check us down on the interwebs, we are www.lastlappodcast.co.uk. You can find us on Twitter at last at last Lap Podcast. You can find us on Facebook. Uh, just search for the Last Lap Podcast, and you can find our page there. Uh, we are on iTunes. We are on TuneIn. We are on Stitcher. So you can get us on pretty much whatever mobile platform that you want to. Just subscribe. You get all of the uh, episodes dropped directly to your device, and you can listen to us whenever. Um, Please do keep on tweeting us. Um, it's been really fun talking with um, all of the regular guys who, who tweet us and uh, let us know, Dylan and Neil and Carly and uh, Rob and, and all of the, the, the guys who like to have a, a discussion with us after a race. Uh, so yeah do follow us on twitter and let us know what you're thinking whether you agree with what we're saying on a on a podcast or during a race uh, we really like to hear from you guys it's really uh, really nice to have that interaction with you so keep that up uh we will like i say probably be seeing you in a couple of weeks time if we can get it all organized but if not we will see you after spa in a few weeks time uh and thank you very much for listening and we'll see you again soon bye bye cheers guys